And let's give attention to God's Word. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own Know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for speaking through your word and pray now, Lord, that you would add your blessing to its reading, to its hearing, and its preaching. God, that that it would be true that the preaching of your word would be true, that we would, that we would hear the voice of the shepherd, and that we would come, that we would hear the voice of our master, and that we would believe, and that we would find life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember, Jesus 
has been in Jerusalem. Uh, last week we saw where he healed a man who was born blind. The Pharisees did not treat that man very kindly. Uh, because of their hardness of heart, because of their unbelief, because of their animosity towards Jesus, uh, they kept interrogating him. They wanted to come up with a different answer. And so as the, as the narrative goes, we see that their blindness is really, that, that they're the ones who are really blind, that they can't see what's going on. They don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. And that as that story wore on, that that, that blind man, his physical sight was, was restored, but we see that increasingly through the narrative that his spiritual sight also uh, is restored, that he, he sees, even though he's unlearned, even though he's a beggar, even though he doesn't have the theological education that they have, that he's really the one who understands who Jesus is and what's happening. And the story ends with him worshiping Jesus. But it also ends with the Pharisees nearby uh, receiving a warning that if they pretend, if they keep pretending that they can see, when in reality they can't see, that their guilt remains, that they are stuck in the dark. And if they remain in the dark, they will perish in their sins. And so really Jesus is continuing that, uh, that speech to them. Others, of course, are hearing it. And he begins with this image, this image that they would have understood, this image of a sheepfold and a shepherd. And it was an image they would have understood because, in a sense, it's kind of the family business. Um, going all the way back to Genesis, their ancestors had been shepherds. And so they understood what it meant to keep sheep. Most of their families probably would have kept sheep if for no other reason than sacrificial purposes. So they know what it means to keep animals, right? And, and Jesus, there's really kind of a threefold uh, division. Preachers always manage to find the threefold division. Um, three points, right? But Jesus begins with this little saying. Uh, and in that saying, he talks about the anatomy of a shepherd, what a shepherd is, what a good shepherd does, and they don't get it. And so he takes it a step further and gets, and gets very explicit with them, and he, uh, he does two things. First, he talks about himself as the door, and then he talks about himself as the shepherd. And we're going to eat, look at each one of those. But the point overall that I want you to grasp, that I want you to come away with is this. Jesus is the good shepherd precisely because he gives us life. And he gives us life, abundant life, by laying down his own. So Jesus is the good shepherd because he gives us life, abundant life, by laying down his own Life. It's a trade, so to speak. <clears throat> but let's talk about this word picture, this saying Jesus uses. Um, he imagines, right, a sheep pen, a sheepfold. And now, uh, it's pro- you could go one of two ways with this. Uh, most people, maybe a lot of people, had a sheep pen that was connected to their home. But what Jesus envisions is really a communal sheep pen where several different flocks are kept. And so, Uh, several different shepherds would come and they would retrieve their sheep from there. And if that was the case, then you needed a gatekeeper. You need somebody at the door who's making sure that the right people are getting in and the wrong people are staying out. That's the picture that Jesus uses here. And so he talks about those who don't want to come in by the door. If you don't want to come in by the door, then you're a thief and a robber. And the only one who can enter by the door, the only one who gets approval, is the shepherd. He is the only legitimate 
one. And when the shepherd comes, and when he comes into the sheepfold, he calls his own flock out. So there's lots of sheep in the pen, but he's calling out his own. Uh, And this reminded me of of a documentary we watched. It was a documentary on water, oddly enough. Uh, And the first scene in that documentary was of these African herdsmen. I think they were herding cows. We'll say cows because everybody knows cows. So uh, they were in the Serengeti. It was the dry season, and so water was not as abundant. And so what these guys would have to do is they would have to find the places where the water table was closest to the surface. And usually another larger animal like an elephant had come along and and dug out kind of a watering hole. They'd found the water and dug it out. But these herdsmen would go and they'd find the watering hole uh, and they would dig it out a little bit more and they'd get down in there and they'd set up a trough for for their uh, herds to water. But this was the compelling part to me. Uh, After they've done that, then they they call their herd. And they would do that. Each one of these herdsmen, and there were three or four of them, and each one of them would call their specific animals with a song. They each had their own song, their own voice, and their animals would respond to that song. Their animals would come to them, and they wouldn't go to any other herdsmen. They wouldn't go to any other watering hole. They knew the song of their master. They knew his voice, and so they would go to him. And that's the picture that you see here in John 10, right? That the shepherd enters the pen, the uh, the gatekeeper allows him access, and he begins to call his sheep out. But notice, he doesn't sing for them. He doesn't just say, hey, all you, come on out. He calls them by name. He calls them individually, by name. He calls his sheep out. And they follow him out. And after he's gathered all of his out, uh, then he leads them off to pasture. And they follow him there. And why do they follow him? Because they know his voice. And because they trust him. They will not follow the voice of a stranger. They don't trust the voice of the stranger. They know the voice of the master. What does this mean? What is Jesus saying? Well, there's a little bit of background to this. Um, First, just kind of in general, in the Old Testament, God often refers to himself as the shepherd of his people. Uh, He does that a lot in the Psalms. Many of you maybe grew up memorizing Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, If you speak modern English, maybe you always found it odd that the Lord was a shepherd you didn't want. So the better, you know, the translation for those of us who are a little dull is, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Okay? So, uh, but God refers to himself as the shepherd of his people. He does that in the Psalms, and he does it in the prophets. And there's one place in particular that's in mind here that we think is in mind, in Jesus' mind as he's saying this. Because remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. And it's in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel prophesied at a time of crisis uh, for God's people. Some of them had been taken away by Babylon. Others had, were left. And so there was this crisis of leadership. There was this crisis of, there was this uncertain future of what was going to happen. And it's during that time that Ezekiel is hearing from God and speaking to the people. One message in particular, he says, in Ezekiel 34, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, that's God's name for Ezekiel, 
Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, shouldn't shepherds feed the sheep? Now, obviously, Ezekiel, we're not talking to shepherds, right? It's a metaphor. We're talking about the leaders, the bad, the false leaders of Israel. Uh, And they're accused of not feeding the sheep. Verse 3, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered Because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains, and on every high hill my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. God is indicting bad shepherds. Uh, Shepherds, really, who are no shepherds at all. They've taken advantage of the sheep. They've killed the fattest ones for their own meals, and they've taken the wool, and they've clothed themselves, but all the rest of the sheep they won't feed, and they don't care care for the weak. They don't seek the lost. They don't look for the sheep that have gone astray. Jesus is pointing the finger when he says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. It's not too far a stretch to think that Jesus is looking at the Pharisees going, you claim to be shepherds, but you are not shepherds. Just like you have done with this blind man, you are taking advantage of God's sheep. And he will not bear it for long. Uh, Jesus is using the figure of speech to show what a real shepherd does in contrast to those who harm the sheep. In contrast to the Pharisees who dealt harshly with the blind man, Jesus comes to him and he welcomes him, right? And he leads him to himself. He cares for the weak and the wounded. And so Jesus doesn't say it explicitly right here, but his point is, I'm the shepherd. I'm the one who calls my own sheep. He calls calls us out of the flock by name. And they respond to his voice and they follow him out. But they don't get it. I mean, they get it, right? They understand the image. They just don't understand what he's saying, right? They're like, okay, yeah, sheep, thieves, robbers, call out. I get it. What's the point? That's what they don't understand. And so Jesus gets clear. He gets explicit. He makes himself clear. And the first way he makes himself clear is he calls himself the door of the sheep, the sheep's door, Um. You know, oftentimes, in fact, if you look at that stained glass window in the back, there's Jesus with a crook and a sheep. And so the idea of Jesus as shepherd is one that's pretty easy for us to, like, that's a, that's a nice, warm, cuddly image we can go to, even though I doubt that being a shepherd was very warm or very cuddly. Um, but the door? Why does he say, I am the door of the sheep? What does that mean? 
Well, he explains himself in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, rescued. That word, uh, that word has a lot of religious baggage for us. We've, uh, we've almost overused the word saved, right? Are you saved? Am I saved? Who's saved? Right? Um, it didn't really have that baggage in Jesus' day. Our baggage kind of obscures the meaning of it. Um, what Jesus is saying is when the sheep comes into the door... He is safe. He's rescued from the predators. He's rescued from the thieves, right? If the sheep comes in the door, he is rescued. He is saved from those who seek to harm him, from those who seek to harm her. So Jesus is the way you enter into life. But that's not all. He's not, the only, he's not only the way that you gain access into the fold. You have to gain access through the door. You have to come through Jesus. But he's also the way that you go back out. right? He, because what happens if the, if the sheep stay in the sheepfold, what happens to them? They're going to die, right? Uh, there's no, the, the, the grass isn't in the sheepfold. You've got to go out. Of the sheepfold. You've got to go find good pasture. And so Jesus is saying, I am the way in. I am, I am your protection. Uh, but I am also the way that you find life, the way that you grow, the way that you are nourished. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then he gets even clearer. He intensifies it. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. In contrast to the thief, I came that they may have life. So the enemy seeks to steal. He seeks to kill. He seeks to destroy. That's not what I've come to do. I've come to give life. And not just life, but abundant Life. I've come that they may have it abundantly, right? What abundant, superior, excessive, over the top. Is that, let's be honest for just a second. Is that how you would describe the Christian life? Right? When you, when you consider life with Jesus, is, would you say over the top, excessive, rich, luxuriant? Is that how you would describe life with Jesus? Uh, if, if you're not a Christian, if you're somebody coming from outside the faith, maybe, maybe you look in and you say, good grief, no. A dull, colorless, straitjacket, moral bondage. Those are, the, those are the words that I think of when I think of life with Jesus. And now let's be really honest. Maybe for those of you inside, it's not too much different. Uh, for my for my teenage friends, for my my kids who've grown up around this stuff, when you look at the faith of your parents and even um, the the faith of your your surrogate parents in the church, do you say abundant? I don't know. Yeah, I don't get to watch the things that my friends watch. I don't get to listen to the things that my friends listen to. Dull, colorless. I don't I don't see. Abundant. And maybe, friend, maybe you're not too far off either. Maybe as you survey this idea of life, you look at it and you go, 
I don't, I don't feel abundance. Maybe it's in the way that you are defining life. In fact, here's what, here's what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus is not saying, hey, listen, I'm, I, am, I am just one way you could do this thing called life, right? You want to get through the day, you got several options out there. Jesus, I'm one, okay? I'm one way, just so you can kind of make it through. Life's hard, we're all, you know, but we'll all get to the end eventually. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am the way to the life as you were meant to live it to life abundant, to the rich life you were designed to have. And if your conception, if my conception of that life is less than abundant, then we are seeing the wrong thing. Jesus is offering green pastures and running water. And so it may be that we need to figure out whose voice we're actually listening to. Are we hearing Jesus' voice? Or are we listening to the voice of other false shepherds who are offering things so much less? For instance, I use the example of uh, you know teenagers. I don't get to listen. I don't get to listen to the things my friends listen to. I don't get to watch what my friends watch. I just want you to think about what you're what you're saying is. Uh, whatever it is over there, it must be better, right? And we all fall prey to this. The grass is greener on the other side. Right? So whatever it is over there, that's where life is. And whatever my parents are trying to sell me, not life. Uh, it's, it's crushing. It's boring. And maybe what your parents are trying to sell you is crushing and boring. But that's not what Jesus is trying to... That's not what Jesus is offering. He's not selling it. He gives it away. Right? What Jesus is saying is that when you come in the door, when you come in the gate... You will actually experience life with the God who made you. You are made to worship me. And if you worship anything else, life will be less than abundant. Life will be less than rich. You are made to worship me. And the only way to worship me, well, is me. You have to come through me to find the life that you were meant to have. Otherwise, you are at risk. You are at risk from the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. But then Jesus uses a second image. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Right? So not only is Jesus the door to life, but Jesus is also the good shepherd. What makes him good? He lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is the shepherd who dies. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Uh, So Jesus is drawing a contrast between himself, the good shepherd, and the hired hand, right? Uh, and, and what the hired hand does is what's called in the business world a cost-benefit analysis. Okay? Uh, the hired hand, he sees the wolf approaching, and he does this cost-benefit analysis. He says, okay, 
That's a big wolf. It's going to cost me. What is the benefit of me staying here? And after that little quick analysis, he says, I'm out. I am not going to die for these sheep. I'll just pay the price. Whatever the shepherd's going to, I'll pay that. I don't want to lose my life. I'm not any good dead. He doesn't own the sheep. He doesn't care about the sheep. And he's, and he's done. But the good shepherd, the good shepherd is good because he lays down his life. Because the sheep are his. And he loves them. And he wants to keep them. But this is where the metaphor doesn't really make sense. Right? Think about it. If, if the shepherd... Now, it's, it's a good shepherd. Every noble shepherd stands between his sheep and danger. Right? So when the wolf approaches, the shepherd takes up his weapon and gets between the wolf and the sheep. But that's just what a normal, noble shepherd does. In fact, in that... In the normal sense, you don't want the shepherd to die. Because if the shepherd dies, what happens to the sheep? They die too. And so this is where the metaphor doesn't quite make sense if you only look at it kind of on the normal plane. Because it doesn't make sense for the shepherd to sacrifice himself. Uh, If he sacrifices himself, then the sheep also lose their life. Everybody dies in um, unhappy ending. But in God's economy, this is where Jesus is not just a noble shepherd. This is where Jesus is the good shepherd. Because in God's economy, the shepherd must lay down his life. Otherwise, the sheep are forfeit. So it's not just that Jesus is willing to die. Jesus must die. It is necessary for the shepherd to lay down his life. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my, down my life for the sheep. And then he says something interesting, Jesus does. In verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. Who's he talking about? You and me. Remember, he's talking to the Jews at this point. But here we get the first picture of Jesus' mission, not just for the Jews, but for the world. Jesus has other sheep to gather in. And he has to go get them. And so he lays down his life, not just for the Jewish people, not just for his Jewish sheep, but also for the Gentile sheep. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. Uh, So... For those of you who are a little bit more theologically savvy, uh, whenever you hear of, uh, of theologies that talk about different peoples of God, right? He's got his Jewish people and his Gentile people. There is one flock, one shepherd. God does not have multiple peoples. He has one people, and he is their one shepherd. Just as Paul says in Galatians 3, there is no Jew or Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One flock, one shepherd. And it's because of Jesus' obedience, his devotion to the Father, the Father loves him for it, he lays down his life that he can take it up again. And notice this, 
the shepherd, the normal noble shepherd may not mean to die. He's not trying to die. He wants to protect his flock. So if he dies, it's an accident. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I have authority to put my life down so that I can pick it back up. Jesus' death is not an end in itself. It's not the final stop. Jesus says, I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to pick it back up. I have authority to do both. So Jesus is the good shepherd who has authority over his own life. And so the way that we receive abundant life is we receive it through trusting in the one who lays down his life. Let's go back to Ezekiel 34. After a few more verses of bemoaning what false shepherds have done and then what the sheep have done to each other, God says this, Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them out into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So you see how God promises to undo what all of the false shepherds have done. He is the one, since no one else can do it, he is the one who will step in to take action. But then there's one more thing he says that's really interesting, and we'll close with this. Ezekiel 34:23, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I... The Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So not only will God seek out his lost sheep, but he's going to send this guy, this shepherd, this David. Well, David, by the time Ezekiel spoke this, has been dead hundreds of years. Who could he be talking about? And that's the question mark. Until this guy Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I am the good shepherd. I'm here to feed. I'm here to seek the lost. And I'm here to give them safety. Jesus is the good shepherd precisely because he lays down his life so that we can have abundant life in him. Let's pray.
Lord, I just ask again that we would hear the voice of the shepherd. And that rather than respond in unbelief and disbelief, like some did that day, Lord, I pray that we would not hear the voice of a crazy man. That we would not hear the voice of a demon. But that we would hear Jesus' words. That we would see his deeds. And we would say, he is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd of my soul. He is the one in whom I will find life. And outside of him, I will find no life. May we trust in him. To our salvation, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.